Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. Have you ever wondered, is there a guy in the Old Testament that would paint us a wonderful picture of Jesus and his priesthood in the New Testament? The answer is yes, his name is Melchizedek. And in this week's sermon, I talk about this man from Salem. Hey, turn to your Bibles to Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven. If you've been with us, um, we're going through the book of Hebrews. We're taking pretty much all year. But um, in essence, to, to move along, hey, you totally got me off kilter now. You, I know, right? Um, this will be the only sermon I preach out of, out of Hebrews chapter 7, but we're going to cover sort of the first 10 verses and then a little bit more um, because I'm thinking, man, where I, November I'm going to stop, but at the same time, I hadn't even got to Hebrews 11 yet. If you've ever read that, that's the Faith Hall of Fame, and there's a bunch of sermons I want to preach out of that. But today, the writer of Hebrews, as he talks about Jesus, and I've entitled this series Faithful because it's one truth about him, and I was praying, but the second, a close second to what I was going to entitle this series was Superior. And so as Jesus is, is, is shown here by the writer of Hebrews, whoever that may have been, he's dealing with this superior priesthood. Now, here's the truth about Jesus that you may not know. Jesus was not eligible to be a Levitical priest. He could not have been a priest according to what the standards were for that. And so I'll work through that in a little bit. But don't worry, he was of an order of a superior priesthood. So let's stand the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read, I'm probably going to read just for today, this morning, just the first three verses. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Father, God, as we look to the truth of the fact that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek as far as king-priest goes, God, help us to understand that Jesus is superior to anything on this earth. It is through him that we have our being. It is through him we have access to heaven. So I pray for that one here today that may not know you as Lord and Savior, whether they're visiting or whether they've been attending for years upon years, that God, they would see you high and lifted up. That's our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Growing up, I always heard of Melchizedek and I was sort of taught this. Oh, he's just a pre-incarnate Christ picture of Jesus. Well, you're going to get more Melchizedek today than ever. And here's the truth that I hope you get. He was not a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus. He was a real man. But I want to give you a definition before we begin. And that's of the word type. Melchizedek was a type 
of Christ. In the Old Testament, there are so many things and pictures of Jesus. There are so messianic uh, promises and prophecies and, and scripture. And the word type there means a, a picture of the coming one. It's sort of the difference between a shadow and the substance. And so in the Old Testament, we have these things that are types. For example, the ark was a type of Christ. It is what picture of what Jesus would do, that he would give you shelter through the storms and he would safely get you through to the other side. Even the word pitch for the ark means atonement. So here we have this man, Melchizedek, that is talked about. So if you want to put your finger somewhere else, go to Genesis 14. We're going to be there as well. Genesis 14, and we're going to, that's the first time he's mentioned that we learn a lot about God and Jesus and their relationship and this man, Melchizedek. Melchizedek was his, I want to see three things. Number one, his actuality, that he was a real person. He was a king priest. Now that is totally different from what the um, Jews could be. A Jewish priest could neither be they could either be, excuse me, king or priest, but they could not be king priest. That was reserved for no one. That, I'm going to tell you about one that tried that and it had very bad repercussions for him. But this guy Melchizedek, now who was pre the law, who was not a Jew, in this place called Salem, which became later Jerusalem, was a great picture of that king priest who would come thousands of years later named Jesus Christ. I want you to know this, that in, in the Hebrew Jewish way, the Levitical priesthood would, would say they were priests of Jehovah. In other ways, they were priests of Yahweh. Now we know that Yahweh is why we see it in scripture from those times of Y-H-W-H. We really have no clue how it was spelled. That's just how we've decided it would be done. And so a scribe, when he was writing this, would use that pen, and he would never use that pen again because he had written this sacred name of Jesus. But also, as they were standing to read, they would never say Yahweh. They would never say his personal name. That's what Yahweh talks about. So as they're reading, they would say this. They would be going along, and they would come to the name for God, and they would say Adonai, which also means Lord, but it's not his personal name. But now that word Adonai was a covenantal national name. Jehovah, Yahweh, all that works in together and it's how you look at it. it so, but they would use this covenantal national name for God. When we get to Melchizedek, he goes another route. Scripture always interprets Scripture, y'all all right. They begin to show us. So flipping your Bible from, but now well, look right here first off. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of, notice, the most high God. Go to Genesis 14. Little backstory here about old Lot. You guys know Lot, Abram's nephew, they decided they couldn't live together because they were been so blessed by God that they, the land wasn't able to uphold them. So Abram says, Lot, let's go right here, man. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. You choose. It's all great. So Lot pitches his tent, we're told, toward Sodom. Can I make this statement to you? Nothing good ever happens 
when you pitch your tent towards Sodom. Hello. Nothing good. It may look good. Listen, I mean, if we were to go, I don't want to preach that, but I want to tell you this, that just because it looked good and it might have a religious context to something doesn't mean it's good for you. See, remember what Lot said? Lot said when he looked out, the Bible clearly says, and you can find this um, in verse in chapter 13, actually. Well, just look right there in chapter 13. Notice what Lot said. And Lot, this is verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. Here's the religious part of it. Like the garden of the Lord. So if you were to ask Lot, Lot would be like, well, I'm, it, it brings my heart to religious things. Friends, I want you to know something. We're not called to have a religion. We're called to have a faith. And that faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Religion is something that is that man-made. My faith is Jesus-made and heaven-made. So just because it has a religious, quote-unquote, undertone, don't mean it's good for you. Let me say the thing that have the whole lot. So he pitches his tent there. We know that he ends up inside of Sodom. He gets captured, we read there in chapter 14. He gets captured by these other kings, and he's taken into captivity that Abram, we're going to come back, has to go um, rescue him. Later on... We, he, his wife turns into a cow lick of salt because she looks back as they're running from the city as it's being destroyed. She looks back where her heart was. And then third, his daughters go into him to create their own different race of people. Nothing good happens when you cast your tent towards Sodom. You need to remember, if you don't get anything else out of today's sermon, you ought to remember that. But in Genesis 14, looking at verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Kedarolamurler, however you say that, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet with him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and here he is. And first mentioned, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. Now, I just told you a minute ago, the covenantal name for God with the Israelites would write, Yahweh is not here. That's a national covenantal name. The name used here is El Elyon. That word literally means he is the possessor of heaven and earth. And so what Melchizedek was saying to Abram, and he says to us some 6,000 years later, is God is not just the national God of the Jews. He is the God of all creation. He is the God for me and you, for the United States, for Brazilians, for Burmese, for anywhere in the world. He's the same God, and he works for everybody. You see, when we go, we're going to be leaving to go to back to Brazil on, on August the 1st. When we go to Brazil, here's the great thing. I don't have to figure out what the Brazilian Jesus is. <laughs> you all right? I don't have to figure out what the Brazilian God is. I just take this same Bible. I'll take this same sermon possibly, and I'll preach this same message to those people in Brazil. He's a worldwide God. And by the way, I want to make this statement. Jesus is not an American. There, there are people that want to make him an American, but he's not. He is Jewish. He's actually heaven, but he's also Jewish. 
He is a possessor of heaven and earth. That means he is a Messiah of the whole wide world. And so what he's doing here, when he calls him God the Most High, he is starting the truth about he's building a Christology. That's another big $5 churchy word. He's building Christology. That means the study of Jesus Christ. Ology means the study of and Christ. Flipping your Bible to Zechariah. It's, and he keeps on. If you don't know where Zechariah is, go to Matthew, hang a left. You'll find Malachi. And just before Malachi, you will find Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter uh, 6, he begins to, once again, it's a continual building about Jesus Christ. In Zechariah chapter 6, um, starting at verse uh, 12. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, that's Jesus, for he shall branch out from his place, he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. That makes him royalty and it makes him a king. And there shall be a priest. I'm telling you, Zechariah was teaching some radical truth here that the Jews would not have missed when they were talking about Messiah. Zechariah said, wait a minute, he's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem, but at the same moment, he's also going to be a priest. That could not happen anywhere in the Old Testament. They were not allowed to be the same person. You may say, well, did anybody ever try? Well, I can think of two right off the top of my head. We're going to go to Uzziah in just a minute. But you remember King Saul, the very first king tried it. When did he try, preacher? Eh? What do you remember? Samuel said, listen, I'll be there in seven days and I'm going to have a sacrifice for you so that you go out to battle. God will be on your side. And he waited and it got to the seventh day and it was getting late in the day and Samuel wasn't there. And Saul says, well, bring all the oxen. I will sacrifice them myself. And about the time he slit their throat and got ready, here comes Samuel walking up. What's the big deal? You know, that's what we say about sin today. What's the big deal? I, who am I hurting? Can you hear? Can you see Saul? They're going, who am I hurting? I'm just sacrificing some dumb animals. I'm just making sure that God's on our side. Here's the problem. God said, don't do that. And so whatever it is, sin that you're dealing with, that sins in your life, that sin you says might make you happy or sin that you, that you think you deserve. If God said, don't do it, I've only got a few words for you. Here it is. Don't do it. God's not trying to hold the man back. God's trying to get you to live holy. And by the way, you only have a certain time here. Eternity is a long time to live in hell. You ought to get right today. So what happened to old King Saul? His kingdom was ripped from him. But that's not the one that was, I don't think, the worst in a sense. Let's go to this new King Uzziah. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Go to the book of Psalms and hang a left. There's this king called Uzziah who at first, I mean, this was a guy. He was a godly man. He saw the face of the Lord and he was really uh, just living for God. He was doing everything for God. And then guess what happened? Old pride snuck in. 
all those victories that he had been giving God the credit for that God had done, that God had won for him, that God had led and gone before him and brought the victory, that man who had given all the credit now says it's him. When does God attack a lot of times? After, I mean, when does the enemy attack a lot of times? Right after major victories. He'll get you up there on top of that mound, that enemy, and he'll begin to whisper, boy, look at you, aren't you something? Boy, don't you, look, look at you, you won that, you didn't need any help. Chapter 26, verse 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud. Solomon, the wisest man ever to live in Proverbs, said, pride goeth before destruction. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him, and with eighty priests of the Lord, who were men of valor, they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out from the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. You ever just, you, you, maybe you know them now, just people that just, they can't be told nothing. They think they know it all. They are God's gift to knowledge. They should write their own encyclopedia. They could have their own Wikipedia page or they could do whatever. They just, you flat can't tell them nothing. They know everything about everything and they are bound and determined they're going to do it. You know somebody like that? I'm telling you somebody that's ultimately going to fall. That was King Uzziah right here. He had thought just because he had won all these victories that the Lord had given him, he could just go in there and he had these godly men that kept going, King, stop. King, we will burn the incense for you. King, don't do that. King, stop. And instead of listening to these men of the Lord, whose job it was to study the Bible, to carry out the, the laws that God had set forth, these men who he should have listened to in their place of work, he got angry at him. You know, it's so much like today. I'm just going to be honest here for a minute. People, you get mad at me about stuff, man. I'll preach something. You don't like it. You get mad at me. You know why? You know how they tell them when you come at me and I mean, you'll write me words and you'll send me a text or you'll, you'll make comments or whatever. All I think is, hmm, somebody's pet sin just got stepped on today. Somebody's idol got jerked on today. And why are you getting mad at me? I didn't write this thinking book. I'm just God's messenger boy. All right. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And then when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on him. He lived the rest of his life. Verse 21, And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house. He was excluded from the house of the Lord, and somebody else had to reign in his place. All because he didn't want to do it God's way, and he got proud. The Levitical priesthood could not be priest and king 
then why was Jesus? How could we read that Jesus is also our king and our priest and our high priest? Well, let's look. Let's go to his eternality. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7. Let's look now at his eternality. We, we see his genealogy first. And by the way, that word genealogy that is there in, in verse 3, this is the only place it's used in Scripture. And by the way, this word genealogy is not used anywhere in Greek literature, which was popular at the time. Why? Because what everybody's got a mom and a daddy. Y'all all right? Yeah, hello. Everybody here's got a mom and a daddy. You, you all right? Some of y'all look at me like you're not for sure. We all have mom and daddy. See, my decent, one of these days, if God, if the Lord tarries, he's going to sit there and he's, you're going to read what will be my obituary. You know, I really think we ought to rename that. Not obituary. It's my homegoing airy. See, I was born December 5th, 1969. I don't know the day I'll die. If the Lord tarries, there'll be a day when, it, when it'll read, I've challenged um, my family to not put he died on such and such day, but I wanted to put he arrived on such and such a day. Some of y'all figuring that out when I'm talking about. See, I will never die. What about you? See, if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't die. Now, this is just a little aside. It's got nothing to do with Jesus' genealogy. But when the day I draw my last, you know, you know, we see everybody watches um, TV shows, man, and they got that little thing in, in the medical field, where it, you know, your heart rate, whatever. That, what's that machine called? Come on, it, you can talk back. EKG, is that what that sucker's called? Okay. You ain't gonna get sarcastic with me just because I can't know what the name of some medical instrument is. Don't hear, I mean, how can you say three letters that sarcastic? EKG. Pray against you, buddy. You just wait. <laughs> so, you know, and the, 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 your heart rate goes, every little heartbeat, it goes up now. Hear, hear this. Before that stinking EKG machine can go, I'll be in heaven. I didn't die. Jesus said, though he die, yet shall he live. Before you can, they can even say the words, he is, I'll be looking at Jesus face to face. See, I'm going to arrive in heaven. I'm not dying here. See, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So that day, oh, what a day it will be. Some of you guys are going, I don't want to die. Man, I'm looking forward to it in a sense. We laugh because I can't, my preacher says he can he, He's looking forward to dying. Now, I don't want to die. I don't got, I'm not like, I'm not going out here trying to kill myself or nothing like that. But the day I die is the day I see Jesus. See, some of you would have put down somebody else right now. I see daddy or mama, mm, child. Let me tell you something. They didn't die for you. Jesus Christ died for you. I'll see Jesus that day, so it won't be the day of my death. It'll be the day of my arrival when I get to heaven. See, that's what you ought to be living for. But this guy had no genealogy. We read nowhere in Scripture 
that says that Melchizedek had a mom or daddy. Now, do I think he did? Yes, he did. He was a human. He's not still living. He wasn't a pre-incarnate Christ like some people have thought about in years past. And we don't get anything about his death or his birth. But why does Scripture say it that way? Here's why. That points to the type of Jesus, that Jesus would be that way. See, some of you go, wait a minute, well, wait, 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 wait. Jesus was born. We know that. Do you know that Jesus already existed before he was born? Uh, hello? See, some of you, you're looking at it wrong. The Bible says, in the beginning, do you realize that before that there was Jesus already? Hello? He was already a part of the Trinity. He was there. He just happened to get his earthly body. And by the way, he was not a human until that day in Bethlehem when he was born. He didn't get his body until that day. He was like God the Father who is spirit. So he was out there sort of in spirit, if you were. He did not get that until he was born. And then some of you might say, well, we know when he died. Yeah, but he didn't stay dead. He rose up from the dead in resurrection power. And see, that's what's going to happen to Hank and happen to you if you're a believer. So what he was getting at, this author there, when he talks of without genealogy, having neither beginning of days or end of life, but resembling, what was it? But resembling the Son of God, he continues to preach forever. He was pointing to the truth of his immortality. Saying he'll never, ever. You realize there's never been a single one billionth of one second that God has not been. This is used as a picture of immortality. He resembled the Son of God. And the, see, here's where the difference is in this priesthood of Melchizedek and the Levitical priesthood. The Le Levitical priesthood had five things it had to follow very carefully. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, he had to be descended not just from Levi, hence Levitical priesthood, but he also had to trace it back to Aaron, the first high priest. See, it was important to know the genealogy of a Levitical priest. Second, <coughs> they were subject to the king still. Yes, they were the priests, but they were still subject to the king. Number three, sacrifices were not permanent. That's why they had to do it. Yeah, and they had a specific day to do the major sacrifice, that day of atonement, that they would bring in the 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 goats, to offer them as sacrifices and the bulls to, on that day of atonement. To, first of all, and the, the priest had to offer one for himself first, and then he offered one for the nation. It was a hereditary priesthood. You know, you couldn't be a priest unless your daddy was one. Somebody in your family was one. It had to be of that lineage of Levi and Aaron. And then how about this one? There were time limits. Did you know there were time limits on the priesthood? You could be a priest between the ages of 25 and 50. The longest you could ever be a priest was 25 years. I'm good at math. I laughed all this morning. You know, I'm almost there. I'm almost at my time limit to be your pastor. Nobody said amen. You realize next Sunday I will have been here 22 years. Man, you guys got me. Thank you, Miss Nancy. Some of you guys... 
I mean, you guys got me. Some of you, Billy and and I told Miss Agnes and Kim and Greg and and some of you others. I'm just I'm gonna get somebody's gonna be mad at me because I just left it. Uh, Steve, Pope Kermit. I I see. I told you I was gonna leave somebody. That's what you get when you start naming folk. Miss Hazel. Man, y'all got me. Paige. Paige. I remember the quote you quoted me the day I preached in view of a call. That's the truth. I'll tell you after. Do you remember what you said to me that day? A priest in view of a call. I know what you said that day, and I know what you said the first day I was pastor here. I preached my first sermon. I'll tell you right after this. I remember that stuck in my brain, something you said to me. But there was a certain limit, and now here's here's an eternality. Do you know that Jesus will never end his priesthood, his kingship, his royalty? Jesus will never get off the throne except to welcome us home except to call us home in rapture. He'll never be off that throne because he is a king priest forever. Let me give you the last thing, his superiority. This is where it gets a little controversial for you. Notice what it says about this man. In verse 4, I didn't read this. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Go back to Genesis 14. Did he really do that? In Genesis 14, he was blessed by Melchizedek. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed by blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abram, the progenitor creator of the Jewish race here is giving a tithe to this guy Melchizedek. Now, not only that, if you read it from the Hebrew way, that was also Levi and the Levitical priesthood because they would argue that Levi was in the loins of Abraham was also tithing to Melchizedek. But notice what Abraham would not do. Let me get back to it real quick. And then the king of Sodom said, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord God, most high possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap for anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Couple truths here. Number one, if Abraham tithed, to Melchizedek, in a sense, under the law, in a sense, because he is superior, Melchizedek was superior, and Abraham was the lesser. And then we know that as we go out, that people tie to the Levitical priesthood according to the law. Are we under an obligation to tithe? Now, see, some of you are going, preach it, preacher. I'm not under an obligation to tithe at all. I would argue just the opposite. I would argue that if because we're under grace, hello, we should tithe more. Matter of fact, I'll go a step further. If you're not tithing, you're sinning. I can I believe I can prove that truth from Corinthians. When Paul says you ought to set aside something for the first day of the week. 
And you know, I used to say, and here's the bust of my, you say, well, if you're not tithing, you ought to begin the journey. Just start at 1% and then go to two and then go to three. And I really got under conviction. I was thinking about it. And then I heard a guy preaching. He goes, if you do that, all you're doing is telling your people to sin more and make that sin more palatable to them. If you're tithing to Almighty God, he'll take care of you. And by the way, you don't need to go to the king of Sodom to get money. Some of you don't understand what I just said. Some of us will do worldly things to get all the money we can that is underhanded, that is crooked, and is unlawful. Because we ought to have the money. God wants me to have this money. God wants me to do this. Abram said, I won't take a dime from the world. I'll trust in the Lord God. Because if God can't provide for you, nobody will. See, some of you don't like when you start talking about tithing. Some of you, I watch you, you grabbed your wallets. Preacher, do you tithe? Absolutely. I tithe and then some. So I'm telling you today, you ought to tithe. And that's according to Scripture. Therefore, I wrote this down. I said, therefore, the Levitical priesthood was tithing to the Melchizedekian priesthood. Because it's a picture of, it indicates superior status. He was, he was coming from Abraham. Abraham was under no obligation, and we aren't, but we give because of grace. What, so here's what you ought to be thinking. Preacher, what are you trying to say today? I got about four points left, and then I'm done. Okay? Not points as in actual points I'm going to preach out, but just true sentences. Number one. Jesus is the only priest-king for all eternity. He's the only one. I want to make clear. I'll get to that in a minute. Number two, Jesus has offered himself as the perfect sacrifice, and he has sat down from his finished work. I've said it before the last few weeks, and I'll deal with it again coming soon. The Levitical priests, there, there, there were no chairs where they did their work because their work was never done. Jesus offered himself one time and he went to the Father and he sat down because his blood still works. I, you know, his blood still works for any, anybody and everybody. I'm going to get to that in just a minute too. Don't you worry. I'm coming on in just a minute, Miss Linda. You just hang on tight, sister. When I get to the very last thing, then, then a tithe was given from the lesser to the greater and ours is based on grace, not the law. There are three truths that you ought to know for today out of this sermon. But I want to give you the greatest truths. Because some of you are probably going to preach here. So what does all this mean? He's like Melchizedek. He's a priest king forever. What does it mean if you could break it down in one simple truth? Glad you asked. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 25 says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. Tell you what it means. It means there's nothing that you've ever done that Jesus can't wash away your sin. You hear me now? 
You may, I don't know everybody here today. You may be saying, preacher, but you don't know what I was like back in the day. Here's the truth I know. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. His blood still works today. And by the way, his blood will still be working years from now. If he tarries, there's nothing. But preacher, what about everything we got going on in the world today? Preacher, does it still work? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. What about for those of us that are already saved? So that's for the unbeliever. If you're here today, that was for you. There is a Savior who loves you, died for you, and his blood will wash away all your sins. See, that's the difference. Let me just make this real quick. The priest, they would cover them, but they were still there. Jesus washes them and cleanses them. But for the believer, you may say, well, preacher, what about, what about the truth? If I, if I fall uh, and I slip and fall into sin and I get in some major sin, that's all right. You're not going to fall out of the ark. His blood still washes you white as snow. Everything you do. That's not a license to sin because you're never going to be sinless, but you should try to sin less. Preach, is that the only two things it means to save to the elder No, no, no. You know that part of amazing grace? It says, when we've been there 10,000 years, it'll be as though we've just begun. A couple of things about that. That tells us that he saves to the uttermost. It's not going to run out. And here's why it's not going to So hold on to that thought. That when we've been there 10,000 years, it'll be as the only God. But how about this one? Oh, what a day that will be. Y'all, y'all know that song? Oh, what a day. Did you hear it? Did you catch what I said? Oh, what a day that will be. Now, wait a minute. Kim, how many days do we have VBS? Four. I'm glad you didn't miss that. I would have corrected you. Four days. Wait a minute. The song says, oh, what a day that will be. But the other hymn writer said, when we've been there 10,000 years. Wait a minute. One says 10,000 years. And one says, what a day. You know, time is of no essence in heaven. So we won't ever really know when 10,000 years has gone by. It's a, I mean, it's for us on this side. See, one is speaking to say it from the, I believe, I believe, from the earthly point of view, we've been there 10,000 years. Can you imagine? Some of you going, here's some of you, I just said that some of you just went to this. What are we going to do? Are you going to worship God? And some of you going, what? Don't worry. It's going to knock your socks off. Everything you do be an act of worship. But wait a minute. Stay with me. Did you realize that in heaven there's no night? It's all day. So what a day that will be. That day will never end. Let wrap your little mind around that. That day will never end. That's why that hymn writer said, what a day that will be singular. Now, can I speak to the others that are not saved here? See, in heaven, we get every day is a day. There's no night. Do you know in hell, there's no day. 
it's all darkness. Preacher, wait a minute, that thing, the Bible says there's a lake of fire, so fire gets off light. I understand it, but it's still dark. I don't know how it works, but here's what I know. It works. Jesus is a faithful, eternal priest forever. Today, he reaches out to you with a nail-scarred hand, and he says, if you'll take me by the hand and make me Lord of your life, I'll take you to heaven one day, and it'll be that day forever. Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcva.com.